All sports, all the time. There's heroes and there's legends. Heroes get remembered. Legends never die. This is the Spoken Podcast. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. I'm your host, Lance Twidwell. Man, that kid, he can ball, man. He can ball. Touchdown, Kansas City! Man with freaking Mahomes, baby! Uh, let's talk some sports, because that's what we're here to do. You are tuned in to the Spoken. Spoken. Ladies and gentlemen, here is Lance Twidwell. This is the Spoken Podcast. I am your host, Lance Twoodwell. Here inside the Spoken Studio, my guy, Trevor Twoodwell. Good, Episode 176, full swing, full motion. Obviously, you guys see that our guy, Mr. Eddie Ortiz, Mr. Yo-Yo-Yo, is out once again. Because, as we all know, this guy seemingly is doing some sort of like celebrity tour around the globe. This man is always in and out of Kansas City. We miss him. We love him. But damn it, Eddie, could you stay with us for at least a couple weeks, man? We missed the Eddie hour already because we won't be having that today. But Stop I promise you guys, your life, Eddie. yeah, quit being, quit having fun, quit living your life as if you only had one. This is where you belong, damn it. We don't want you having fun outside of this. We're trying to control our guy. I think he, I think we talked about the contracts last week. I think he realizes his contract. He, you know, cut off. yeah, he's yeah, he's, he's you know, he's we're, we're, we're looking, we're looking for free agents right now. But we, we might have to end up paying them, kind of like the Cardinals played Kyler Murray, which we're going to get to in a little Ooh, bit. Uh, but nevertheless, we want to thank every single one of you guys for being with us, uh, whether you're live streaming, whether you're podcasting, or whether you are YouTubing. We want to thank you so much for making time to, to be with us in this time, episode 176. We are officially in the time of the year where training camp has started for most NFL teams. Uh, in particular, here in Kansas City, we know that Patrick Mahomes and a lot of the veterans reported yesterday. We know that Orlando Brown Jr., the starting left tackle for the Chiefs, did not report because obviously he has not signed his franchise tag yet. We'll get into all that in a second. We're going to be handing out some L's. I'm, I'm sure that we're going to have some W's this week because I felt like there's some really good, even borderline touching W's that we can have this week. But Trev, thanks for being here with me man, this week. I appreciate all the contrib- contributions you bring to the the show and to all you guys that are, that con- contribute, whether it's on the YouTube channel, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on Twitter, thank you guys so much for being a part of this, man. We really do appreciate it. It's fun every single week, and if we didn't have fun each and every week, we wouldn't be doing this. And we'd love the feedback that we get from you guys. And speaking of that feedback, if it's if it's okay with you, man, if you have not already, go ahead and get on our YouTube channel. It's on the links of all of our videos that we put all the tidbits out there. It's in our in all of our details. Go ahead and hit the subscribe button. Let the people know uh, what we do here. At the spoken if you haven't already but if you have thank you so much we appreciate what you guys do for us but let's let's get into some let's get into some conversation here because I, like i said we have training camp full swing full motion now for the chiefs and i think that there's some discussions to be had about this team moving forward that's something that i've really been addressing this offseason in particular because of all the influx all the movement that's been going on with the chiefs this offseason i feel it's very important to discuss this team moving forward obviously this season is what matters the most because we know as long as Patrick Mahomes is on this team it's a it's a win now mentality or at least that's what the Chiefs should have is a win now mentality sure you can build for the future because Patrick Mahomes is still in his mid-20s but this is a team that can, that can and has won at a very high level at a Super Bowl level in this particular era we know the running back tour is over. We know that generation's done with. A lot of the players that were on that team that won in 2019 and, and Super Bowl 54 are gone. But there's still a lot of pieces in place that still are here from that time. And I think those guys can help push this team in the right direction. But I want to talk about the focus 
of where we need where where our focus needs to be from the fans to the players to the coaching staff to the franchise as a whole in this particular season. We've addressed that the loss of Tyreek Hill will, will slow down the Chiefs in a dynamic sense. But we also know that the Chiefs would win 12-plus games and Patrick Mahomes would throw for roughly 5,900 yards and 34 touchdown passes if you spanned out their record and Mahomes' numbers without Tyreek Hill in the lineup for a 17-game schedule. Which is why today, this offseason, and moving forward, I am choosing to turn my focus to the defensive side and the changes they've made from one year to the next in regards to the youth, pure athleticism, and skill aspect. The Chiefs' defense might struggle at times this season. I think we all are expecting that because we know there's so many young guys, so many impressionable guys, so many guys that lack NFL experience that will be playing key positional roles on this team. But make no mistake about it. They have improved in areas they lack significantly in 2021. Primarily in the secondary. Veterans like Justin Reed to add both athleticism, skill, and leadership is a key cog in all of this working, as we've talked in previous episodes, along with players that have been in the system, are still considered younger, but are now veteran-like players like Lord, Lord Jerry Sneed, Juan Thornhill, and Rashad Fenton. All are very much young, still early to mid-20s, that have been here now for three or four years. They're now the veterans of this defense. You pair them up with highly coveted pieces like Trent McDuffie, along with absolute specimens like Brian Cook, and you're looking at potential galore. And this doesn't even this doesn't exclude the much improved linebacking core the Chiefs now possess that includes second year player Nick Bolton, who despite essentially splitting snaps with keep my name out your mouth, Anthony Hitchens, still led all rookie defenders in tackles last year. Also includes the insanely talented Willie Gay Jr., who I am convinced has yet to show us just how effective he can and will be, especially in year three of this Spags defense. And of course, Mr. Death Row himself, Leo Chanel. A guy I'm putting no limitations on because I think the Chiefs will use him in a myriad of ways with his athletic versatility. Oh! And the Chiefs still have one of the best defensive linemen in Chris Jones in his prime and just, just drafted one of the best rookie edge rushers in, 2022, in the 2022 draft with George Karloftis. Again, I, I do expect this defense is going to have some growing pains, but I expect them to be much improved from a year ago, even more so. Think about it like this. The, the, the 2021 Chiefs defense was playing Dan Sorensen and Ben Neiman out of necessity more than one more times than not last season. And it showed how big of a, how big a holes these two players were in particular whenever the Chiefs faced a capable offense. Versus the Ravens, Chargers, Bills, Titans, and Bengals, the Chiefs defense allowed 32 points per game. Against every other offense they faced last season, they allowed 16 points per game. That is literally half. <laughs> half of the points per game against good top-tier quarterbacks. That's just wild to me. I'm not I'm not here to make predictions yet. We have that show in early September as we do each and every year. Can't wait. But I will say confidently, I believe that those numbers won't be as extreme from one to the next this next season. I don't believe the Chiefs defense is going to be that terrible against really good offenses and that great against bad off bad offenses and it just be that extreme. I think there's going to be a middle ground for both. 
Having said all this and being as optimistic as I possibly can be, I'm still worried as hell about this pass rush. But as I told you in previous episodes, I believe the Chiefs had a goal in mind building their defense through the secondary, much like the Legion of Boom days with the Seahawks. And I'm going to explain why. And it's even more confident after I went and ran these numbers. The Seahawks had the number one ranked defense from 2013 to 2015. That's three seasons. Three years in a row, they had the number one ranked defense. The Seahawks had the number one ranked defense in the NFL. They never finished better than ninth in sacks in those seasons, and they averaged 16th rank in sacks during that span. So they were literally an average team, an average defense at getting to the quarterback and still managed to lead their team to back-to-back Super Bowls and 35 regular season victories over that three-year span. What made them great was their ability to force opposing offenses into slowing down their pass attack. And you can't say it was a different era because this was less than 10 years ago. There are still a number of players from that team that are still very much active in the NFL, and Pete Carroll is still chewing that same stick of gum. And as I said a couple weeks ago, this is the first time Spags has been a DC for a team for more than three years at a time. Coming into his fourth season without that field general and Tyron Matthew for the first time as a Chiefs DC, with all these young, athletically skilled athletes ready to be shaped and molded into great football players, is going to be Spags' greatest challenge in his 25-plus years as a coach in this league. And I'm stoked to see him take on that challenge because, as we know, he is the only DC in NFL history to win a Super Bowl with multiple franchises. Adding another ring to that equation sounds like enough motivation for one Steve Spagnolo. The point I'm trying to make in all of this is this. At this point, we should be more excited about the potential of what this defense can and will become more than what we should be worried about what this offense, this Chiefs offense, could potentially be negatively affected by. Losing Tyreek Hill is a blow, and it blows. But we all know that this offense is going to be one of the league's best as long as Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes are steering it. And that having that and having a capable and effective defense is what's going to get the Chiefs back into the Super Bowl. I believe that the Chiefs see the big picture. And this offseason, like Frank Sinatra, they did it their way. And I'm confident it's going to pan out the way we all hope it does. Trevor, what are your thoughts about the mentality Moving forward, how do you see this team shaped up and ready to go for week one? Because I'm going to be honest with you, as much as I am nervous about the youth movement, because I always tell you I prefer sure things as to to hopefullys or what could be's, I I love the idea that this team and its potential could be something that we've never seen before in Kansas City as far as a defense being led. Because we know throughout our childhood, the defenses that were great in Kansas City were always led by a Derek Thomas and Neil Smith, guys that could get to the quarterback, yes. And we still have a guy like that in place in Chris Jones, Mm -hmm. but I think that this defense's greatness and them being at at their apex is going to come down to what their secondary can do this year. What are your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, so on the defense, look, man – and I'm, I'm all for the, the youth movement. I love this, but the timing isn't good. Um, I, I will say, I mean, everyone should be nervous because we're looking at the toughest this division maybe have ever been. This might be the toughest AFC West I think I've ever seen or ever heard of um, as far as how deep the talent is here, yeah. uh, quarterback-wise and just weapons galore. I mean, so um, and the AFC in general is extremely dis- – this is going to be the toughest path Mahomes has had so far in his career. Um 
you know, and to have, you know, a lot of new faces on the defensive side to stop the said weapons and quarterbacks in this division. Um, it's This isn't the best time to kind of rebuild and go young uh, and inexperienced on the defense. So I, I'm extremely nervous, but I'm just as excited as I – I'm more excited than I am nervous. Um, like I said, I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about these young guys. Um, in order to be a proven guy in this league, you have to become proven. You have to prove yourself, right? So there's a lot of chances for these guys to do that, uh, which is the most exciting part about all of this for me. And, um, and now, you know, I've said my, my, my piece about McDuffie being a, possibly a bust, if that's the guy I'm the most worried about just because of the draft capital and, you know, moving up that far to uh, uh, and giving up, you know, multiple picks uh, to move forward to get him, um, putting a lot of trust in him. Um, I want to see him become a stud in this league. You know, that would be that would just give more kudos to the you know the trustworthy leadership of this franchise, um, even more so than they than we already have. So, um, yeah, I, I'm definitely listen. I'm nervous. I'm excited. I'm nervous. Um, I, I I'm not worried about the offense really yeah. at all. I would be honest with you with Andy with the with the offense in the hands of Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes out there making plays. That's the least of my worries. They're going to go out there. We're going to function. We're going to put up north of 30 points damn near every day. Um, that's not what I'm worried about. But this this defense is uh, – is, it should be the focus of all, all fans, really, for being honest. Like, this should be – this is what we need. And, and this is Spagnuolo's – you're right. This is Spagnuolo's chance to truly redefine himself. He's had, a, he's had major slumps in his career. And he's had, obviously, high, very high highs. Um, but this would be the ultimate – accomplishment if he turns this team this defense into a you know top eight top five defense on the on the season uh to you know combat this extremely talented division would be nothing short of a massive accomplishment for him um and i i'm hoping you know i'm hoping that's the case uh, i do believe in in a lot of these young guys i do believe in cook i do believe in chanel i do believe in um bolton taking that next step um willie gay being you know having a good solid he got that the the stud, the offseason issue that was going on, he's got that behind him. That's settled. No more distractions. Um, you know, uh, I think Carl Loftus is going to be a force. I truly, truly believe yeah, that. Yeah, you're the one that said you think he leads the team in sacks, I, right? I do. Double I, digits, too. I do. I yeah. think he leads the team in sacks. Um, <clears throat> as far as our prediction shows go, we'll, we'll, I'll, I'll, you know, lean into that a little bit more. But I, I am a believer in Carl Loftus. I think just from watching this tape, similar to how I felt about Nick Bolton, I think he's a great pick at a great time of the draft. Uh, where we got him, how he felt us. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited about these guys, man. I really, really am. Uh, we have this is the most depth we've had as far as talent goes. I know a lot of these guys are unproven, but the talent is there. We just got to get it on film. Got to get it, you know, accumulated as a group and get these guys meshed together. Um, building chemistry is never easy at yeah. early. There's gonna be hiccups. Just as a, as to my fans out there, to my casual fans, to you know, don't overreact. When things happen, even if it's McDuffie. I'm glad you're saying that directly at me. Well, I mean, I, <laughs> you yeah, know I mean, how I am. <laughs> it's easy, dude, because football, man, it's, you know, it's it's a short season. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's not, you know, mistakes are extremely costly. You know, every single game matters, especially with this, the way this division's set up and the, 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 the challenge that's going to be this year. Um, letting Mahomes down, if, say, we this defense blows a game or two, letting Mahomes down is a, is a no-no. We can't, we can't do that because we know he's going to go out there and ball. Um, so we need these young guys to be prepared mentally and physically and chemistry-wise, you know, we need these guys to be on the same page, and that's asking a lot. It is, but I mean, you know, what? this is that's what this game requires of you. It requires a lot of it, of you. So, um, I'm I'm interested to see who gets the starting jobs. I'm interested who's going to be, you know, 
who are you know rotational guys are going to be. It's, there's just so much talent on this defense. There's so much young uh, uh, talent on this team, and I, that's what I'm excited about. Like, this is I, I don't think I've ever been as excited about a camp defensively watching you know keeping track of all these guys on yeah. defense uh, uh, during camp um, and see how, how they're all doing you know health wise and how they're doing chemistry wise. Uh, um, so. Yeah, man, I am very nervous. Though I'm not gonna lie to you, I, I, I'm I'm excited, but I am very nervous to the you know that all of this works out. Uh, you know, the biggest reason why I'm I'm not as nervous as I thought I would be going into training camp is is for the same reasons that I've been I've been pushing it out there, and it, for some reason I'm not hearing enough about it from everybody else. I I don't mean to toot our own horn here, but I feel like this is something that's gonna pay dividends for us when we look back and like, man, we've been saying this for a long time. Yeah. It, 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 it's coaching staff, so like. You, you look at the way the Chiefs are currently constructed. You see the losses and the additions and what they've had going on this offseason. And some of the head-scratching decisions they've made from the front office down about not really being aggressive uh, by spending and going in, in, in that direction and, and staying competitive when the rest, literally, the rest of the AFC has just went out there and spent a fortune on, on veterans. Aging, albeit, but sure. It's still guys and names and people out there that have had a lot of success and a lot of Hall of Fame players, quite frankly, as well. But... It's the coaching staff for me that gives me so much peace. And I'm not sitting here because I'm with you. I, I think that there's going to be those games. We, we get them every damn year where it's like, how the fuck did we really just drop the ball in that game? We played like absolute shit today. What yeah. the hell? That I always go back to the Titans game last year about losing 27-3. to What in that literal hell happened in that game? And so those are going to happen. But, but I look at it and I say, okay, the loss of Tyreek Hill. If we had a brand-new head coach or uh, you know, a bunch of moving parts in the coaching staff on the offensive side, and you lose Tyreek Hill, man, I'm nervous. And, I, and I'm still confident that, Tyree, that Patrick Mahomes will find a way and all these other things. But that's going to be a real big question mark. The question mark is so much smaller for me when I know what's in place and what's been in place for the better part of a decade. And that the establishment, that, that knowing of what is and what isn't, and what Andy Reid brings to the table each and every year, the fact that Eric Bieniemy Eric is going into year five as an offensive coordinator, the fact they went and got back Matt Nagy yeah. with all that head coaching experience he's now bringing back as a quarterback's coach, uh, th that to me is what's going to solidify the fact, not to mention the fact the Chiefs did go and get Juju Smith-Schuster, who so many people continue to sleep on or try to downplay, not realizing the numbers he's put up with an aging Ben Roethlisberger that I've broke down several times over on this show. The fact that MVS, a guy that I'm not as big on, but it has the skills and the capabilities that he has downfield to stretch this defense, along with McCole Hardman, who's who's held hell bent on making a statement this year Sky with Moore. his own individual ability and to try to get himself a, a payday this next year off of his rookie deal. And of course, like you said, Sky Moore, Ro Ronald Jones, Clyde edwards Lowe trying to prove himself, a, a, an offensive line that's going to be solidified for Patrick Holmes. Hopefully, we, we will see. But we're going to talk about that in a second. Like I said, but but there's so so much good on this offensive line. I, I, on this offense, I didn't even mention the fact that the Chiefs still have the greatest tight end who's ever lived in Travis Kelsey, playing still very much within his prime. Like all that combined, man. Like at the end of the day, I look back and go, "Oh yeah, we did lose Tyreek Hill." And it's no disrespect to Tyreek Hill because he is a surefire Hall of Fame player. His is, I think, the greatest receiver who's ever worn a Chiefs jersey. Mm. I think all the, all those things are true. The show goes on, baby. But because yeah, exactly. But because of the fact that all these other factors are still very much in play, I feel good. Mm. I'm literally James Brown right now. I feel fucking good right now, man. And when it comes to the defensive side of things. I, I've been very critical on Steve Spagnuolo a lot of times, but I will give him his credit when credit is due. Of all the defensive coordinators in the league right now, 
I would feel about as just as confident of Steve Spagnuolo running this defense with all these formidable players as I would with any other defensive coordinator out there. And I say that confidently because, again, he has established this defensive system for now going on four years. That is saying something. That is a culture builder. And when you move out and you trim the fat, and see, that was the biggest worry I had, was that Steve Spagnuolo was going to keep bringing back these guys that were just clearly not good fits, that clearly were no longer athletically gifted. Like Dan Sorensen, yeah. what, what made him, what separated him from the rest is he would make big plays because he was able to get to a certain spot. He can't do that anymore. Yeah. So they trim that fat. Ben Neiman, no business being on the field outside of special teams, continued to be thrown out there and would just get burnt. Those days are gone. And they filled those roles with guys that are younger, stronger, more athletically gifted, more they have more to prove. That, yeah, they're not set in their ways. They're not these seven to twelve year veterans. They're no longer those guys. These are dudes that Steve Spagnuolo can implement and change and, and put them in the right spots and really do what he wants to do with his defense. Because now more than ever, it is actually Steve Spagnuolo's defense. This is more his defense than it ever has been in the previous three years because these are pieces he wanted. George Karloftis was the guy he wanted. Trent McDuffie was the guy he wanted. Brian Cook, Leo Chennault, uh, Justin Reed. These are guys that Steve Spagnuolo signed off on. And they're all within 25 years old or below. Like, that's wild to me. And then you have Juan Thornhill who's out here speaking big. Mm. I like that stuff. Yep. I want that from a Juan Thornhill. Because I know the capabilities are there because I saw him before he tore his ACL and what that guy brought to this defense. I think that guy's still there and he's only 26 years old. Got to see it, man. With the prove-it deal. Mm. Like, this is... So, with, with Steve Spagnuolo, with Eric Bieniemy, with, with Andy Reid, with Matt Nagy, these guys leading the way, I couldn't feel more confident. I couldn't feel better about it. I'm not trying to sit here and pander. I'm not... That's not what we do here. That's not our brand. We're not, we're not homers here, man. We're trying to bring realness. And I don't care if it offends other people. If I said that I'm worried as hell about this team this season, I would say it. Even if people get mad about it, even if people stop watching our show, I'm going to tell you the truth. And to me, this year, the theme of this year, not just with the Chiefs, not just with the AFC, not just with the NFC, I'm talking about the NFL. The theme this year is coaching. Coaching. Look at even at a smaller, at a smaller scale. A team that hasn't even been successful in the playoffs over the last 8 to 10 years are the Pittsburgh Steelers. But what do they do each and every year? They get to a winning record. They have not had a losing record in over 15 years since Mike Tomlin took over. What is the single consistent piece to that? Mike Tomlin. Have they had have they had rosters that deserve to win 9, 10 games? No. Over the last few years, no. Yeah. They have talent, sure. Really good defenses, a couple really good wide receivers or running backs here and there. But they haven't had 10, 12 win teams. Kind of and they've done that multiple times because of what? What Mike Tomlin establishes. The fact that this man could deal with Kanye West in a helmet and Antonio Brown <laughs> and handle his insanity each and every year and still go out there and get him to perform at a high level and get out there and go to 12, 13 victories a season, that's Mike Tomlin. So take that and take it to a whole nother level with Andy Reid, Eric Bieniemy, Matt Nagy, uh, 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 Steve Spagnuolo, all together in unison with the best quarterback in football, the most skilled quarterback in football, with the best tight end in football, with a plethora of young, hungry, motivated weapons on both sides of the ball. It's hard for me to look at this and go, man, if, if Mike Tomlin who I love and I think is a great coach, is not a better coach than Andy Reid, no. can get that out of that Steelers team. 
with all this co all this this coaching staff around Andy Reid and Andy Reid with all these other things surrounding that, guys, I don't know how you don't look at this this season and go, man, the sky truly is the limit with this team, even with all the influx. Yeah. So that's where I, that's that's my my take on this right now. I'm choosing optimism, not blindly, but because of what's in front of me and oh. what I can't help but see, and that's where I'm gonna stay on it. But let, let's let's bring some. Let's let's bring the other side of this because there are some other things that Trevor, I know you've you've said that you look at as potential distractions. Um, I know you and I see this a little bit differently. We've had our own talks on and off the show in regards to the current status of Orlando Brown Jr. Now we're not going to rehash so much the contract disputes because we already know where that's at. We know that they can't sign Orlando Brown Jr. to a long-term deal. What we can address, though, are a couple things. One, we know that he has not yet signed the franchise tag, which means that if he doesn't show up to camp, which we don't expect him to for at least another week or so, he can't get fined for that. I do feel very confident that by the time August 1st rolls around that we will be seeing either Orlando Brown Jr. signing his franchise tag and or signs his franchise tag and gets to, to get, gets to camp. I don't think past August 10th that we'll see Orlando Brown Jr. missing because he knows the money that's involved here. He knows that he has to get in rhythm with the offense and get in shape and get all these things going before the season starts because we do know that uh, preseason games start right in the middle of August. So I, I, I'm fully anticipating that by the by this time in two weeks or so, we're going to see in, uh, Orlando Brown Jr. signing his franchise tag, getting around $16.6 million, and will be the starting left tackle for the, for the team. But what I want to address more than anything is a report that came out this week from somebody that I think is very credible, somebody that I... I, I take very seriously, and I think that he should be taken seriously by all whenever he reports something because he is connected in Kansas City. But it made me scratch my head a lot, and I want to address it directly. We we, we had some details emerge uh, about the aftermath of the contract extension talks with Leonard Brown Jr. and the Chiefs, and it doesn't sound good according to one NFL Network's Jeffrey Chidea. Uh He was on NFL Now a few days ago, and he said to uh, the host, Andrew Siciliano, the two sides falling then coming to a they failed to come to an agreement of an extension ahead of the NFL's trade deadline for franchise tag players. Uh, it, it, it made one of the top players at his it would have made him one of the top players at his position. He turned down the deal reportedly over a lack of guarantees and all that stuff. So we all know that. But there, here's the quote that I, I really want to get to. Quote: uh, This is from Jeffrey Judea. Quote: There was frustration and there was disappointment. They really like Orlando Brown Jr. and they love having him to be a part of this team, but the money he was asking for was too high for them. They didn't want, they don't want to not have stability at left tackle here, but they also don't want to have to pay top of the market for a player they don't think is the best player at his position in the NFL. Uh, one, one front office person said, quote, there isn't, there, this isn't the same guy that we traded for. The feeling he, there is that they got him from Baltimore is that they, he was going to be a team player and work with them on a team-friendly type deal. That was not the case. Right now, we're looking at a situation where Orlando Brown probably won't be here for training camp and maybe won't be here from week one. End quote. Okay, so I... So because he didn't agree to a contract that had a fake six-year worth $44 million attached to it, an anonymous front office person, according to Chidea, because of course it is, claims that he's not the guy the Chiefs traded for. Okay. Look, again, I'm going to reemphasize this. Jeff Chidea is an incredible reporter, but I don't, re I don't buy this report at all. And I'm going to explain why. 
As my dude Grant Morris from Arrowhead Live uh, said this week, quote, and I got the quote right here, Cap'n Chadia. No team expects a player to take a discount, nor do they make trades based on the idea that said player will take a discount, end quote. 100% agree with that. The Chiefs are one of the best franchises in the NFL, and that requires having a consistent, capable, and competent front office. So I refuse to believe that some front office executive, this anonymous person, I always love anonymous sources. That's always the cutest thing ever. They assumed that Orlando Brown Jr. would take a team-friendly deal as a mid-20s starting left tackle they traded for. I'm supposed to believe that. It doesn't make sense, and it doesn't add up for a myriad of reasons. And again, I just stated the half of them. The fact that this is a mid-20s left tackle. The Chiefs said, we want him so badly. We're going to trade We're gonna trade with a, with a team within the AFC that's contending against us for championships. We're going to trade four picks to get this guy. But we don't see him. We, we're, we're trading these picks in the hopes that he's going to give us a team-friendly deal. Knowing the premier position, knowing his age, knowing what he wants, because I know that has to be a discussion about what he's looking for. That's that. That's what they traded with with the intentions of. It. And they were willing to pay him big money, right? But, but, it wasn't like the contract. I'm sure. Small. Here's the thing. The reason it doesn't. I, I'm sure who and what this report. I, the biggest thing I'm trying to figure out is what does this report, even if it was true, who does this benefit? Because it doesn't help the. It doesn't benefit the Chiefs. It doesn't benefit Orlando Brown Jr. So I'm more than anything when I look when I when I take ten thousand when I'm looking at this from ten thousand feet, I'm just trying to figure out how this isn't just confusing because it sounds to me like a plant piece. Remember how the Aaron Rodgers report right on draft day a couple years ago uh, when Trey Lance and all them were about to get traded or signed or drafted by the Niners that supposedly Aaron Rodgers was asking for a trade to the Niners and all that stuff. It was like a hit piece where it was right before the draft. He just wanted to give a nice fuck you to the Packers to distract everything and take all the focus off of what the the Packers are going to do with the draft because of what happened with Jordan Love the year before. Like, I think sometimes some of these reporters, I don't, I don't want to question integrity here. I, I really don't. But I know these guys have a job to do and one of their one of their biggest assets is getting information from top tier executives. Mm. So I think sometimes there's like these little handshakes or little agreements where, hey, if you throw this out here and you put that out there into the ether mm. and you get people to discuss it like we're doing right this second, we're gonna get you hooked up with the next big report. Or hey, we'll give you the scoop before Ian Rappaport or Adam Schefter or any of these big time reporters get it. We will give you hey, we're uh, we're getting a, a five year deal in place with Orlando Brown Jr. for uh, for twenty six million a year. Uh, go ahead and drop that. Like Chitty is gonna be the yeah. one that gets that. Like it's out I, for a reason. I think that's what Adam Schefter. I think that's why Adam Schefter always gets these big breaking stories. I think that's why Rap Sheet, James Gar- uh, uh, Mike Garofalo, James it's Palmer, the all of them. side of sports. Yes, Tom Palacero, all of them get their favors because of them doing a favor. And I think that's what's happening in this situation with Chidia. Are there are there validities to There's some of the be statements? Some truth to it. Yes, but I, Trevor, and maybe you'll feel different. And I know that you and I do feel different about this entire situation as a yeah. whole. But in particular, about the the unanimous. Uh, anonymous executive saying that he isn't the guy they they thought they were going to trade for because he didn't take a team friendly deal. I, I just I can't get my mind to believe that. And maybe you can maybe walk me to the water here, but I don't see how this this team and this franchise being as prestigious and as well equipped as they are to make such a rash 
mistake, in my opinion, to say, we're going to trade for a left tackle who's 24 years old at the time we trade for him, and we're going to hope that he takes a team-friendly deal, knowing what that position in itself, like I explained to you, the market that right as it currently stands is $24.5 million per year for Orlando Brown Jr. or a left tackle in, in, in general. You don't have to be the best to get top-tier money. So any anybody that age. Anybody. That's the market for anybody. Anybody that's that. a left tackle, starting a starting left tackle in this league, their market, again, it's no different than wide receivers with Christian Kirk and guys like that getting $17 million a year. That's an it, outlier, though. I get it. No one out, else outside of the Jets are going to pay him. Right, right, right. You know that outliers are ones that create markets though because now because of Deshaun Watson getting 230 million guaranteed what did what did Kyler Murray just get 230.5 with 160 million guaranteed if Deshaun Watson doesn't get 230 million guaranteed Kyler Murray doesn't get 230 million total okay but Kyler Murray is a very skilled quarterback not great but he's still very and he plays the most important you're explaining Orlando Brown Jr. no I'm not not great but he's really good he's not going to be a top 10 guy as kid as position right now like that's why Kyler Murray might not be either I think I'd say he's a top ten quarterback probably in this league. Fringe, talent, he talent wise, he's for oh, sure. Oh, talent, top. but I'm saying production. He's never thrown for four thousand yards. Never thrown for more and than twenty six yards. Of, he's the face of a team. We're talking about a guy that hasn't proven anything in this league really yet. Orlando Brown Jr. hasn't done anything of note in this league really yet. He, he was he was okay. He was unavailable in the biggest game of his career. Like that's that's the part where you kind of lose me. And I think that in the statement originally there where they were talking about, um, you know. Uh, where they're talking about you know paying paying someone that's not really like. I know the market is what the market is, but I don't. I'm not really a, a guy that's like married to the market. I don't think you have to pay someone what the market value is for someone of their age. I feel like you need to pay someone when they're doing what they're supposed to be doing, and he hasn't been that great. If I'm being honest, I know we love him because he's on this team, and I've called him the most important left tackle in this league because he's he's guarding for the most important player in this league. But to me, I I, I think I think he burnt a bridge here. I think I think there is some truth to that statement. I don't think Jadia is going to just come out and say that if there's no truth to it. Um, of course, the person is going to be anonymous, but I, me personally, man, I just this this whole situation is rubbing the wrong way from the very beginning. He's it all feels intentional. Like he took forever just to get an agent, which he should have had one from the get go. There's no reason not to have an agent. Um, if I was a Baltimore Ravens fan, I'd be driving, going crazy too about this Lamar Jackson situation with him not having an agent for a long time. I don't know if he still does or not. He's having family members represent him and shit. This is very unprofessional. It's been very unprofessional from the jump, and I don't, I don't appreciate that for someone who wants to claim that they're worth this and they're worth that, and yet they're not even representing themselves well enough to even be deserving of that and or playing to that level where you're deserving of that money, regardless of what the market says. I get it, but the Chiefs are the... But the Chiefs were offering him damn near a similar contract to what Trent Williams got. Exactly. Obviously, the, the 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 guaranteed is different. But you're not Trent Williams. You're not even remotely, you know, you're not sniffing the dude's jockstrap. So I just don't understand. I'm just confused on why Orlando Brown Jr. all of a sudden thinks of himself as this top-tier elite player. Uh, granted, you think of yourself or whatever you want to think of yourself, but you weren't even prepared professionally to take care of the situation. Now you're sitting out of camp. Now you're, it's just a distraction. This is everything that I didn't wanted. I didn't want leading into this season. This is a very important season, maybe the most pivotal season with all the changes that we've made, all the, all the, you know, the, the talk about how Patrick Mahomes is going to react uh, without Tyreek Hill, how he's going to play without Tyreek Hill, this division stacked now with Russell being here and all this and that, all these, all these headlines and things that we needed to be, we needed all of our ducks in a row. And this just feels selfish to me, man. It really does. This, he's making this about himself a lot. And I just, that's why I do I do agree with that that statement about how this is not the guy they traded for. I think this is a personality thing that they're dealing with. I think there are some things maybe told up front when this transaction first took place 
that someone's not fulfilling. And if I'm if I'm a betting man and I'm going to bet on who who is not holding up on their end of whatever handshake agreement there was when he first got here, I'm going to go with the guy that re- refused to get an agent for months and months and months and now is holding out of camp. I I can't defend him uh, because I actually I agree with what you're saying about the 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 agent. It's less about numbers for me. I think this is a personality issue that's going on. Yeah, I, I can't defend him there because I, I, you know, I, I established my entire stance on how these contract negotiations went with Orlando Brown Jr. because of how he handled that. I think that if he would have had an agent it, six months ago, not even a full year ago, just six months ago, I think the Chiefs and him probably figure out a deal because they were close when he got an agent just a month before the deadline. So I'm with you on that. My point, though, is... Is it agent or not? The market remains. And I know what you're saying about you're not married to the market, but you know who is? The NFL. You know who is? The players. And that's that. Apparently not the Chiefs. But here's the the, the thing. Here's the thing. The Chiefs, I understand that the the contract looked really good. And at first I'm like, damn, how did he not take that? But as we've discussed multiple times, that final year is what made the numbers look bigger than what it really was. And we both know that final year was never going to happen. He was never going to get $44 million in a six-year. That was never going to take place. That's why the Chiefs made it look like that, to make it look competitive. But if you actually break it down, it was really a five-year, $95 million deal, which looks good. Sure, $33 to $35 million, I think, guaranteed, which is good numbers. But that's only about $18, $18.5 million a year. That is about four, five, maybe six million dollars under his market value. And for a player at his magnitude, at his position, and at his age, you have to go and get the most money because that is what the league tells you basically to do. Look at Patrick Mahomes. Gets, and again, I'm not trying to compare Orlando Hunter. I'm making I'm making, I'm making a, I'm making a case for per position. Okay, look at it like this. Patrick Mahomes gives him that 10-year, $500 million deal. After that, Look at how many other players have gotten more guaranteed dollars since Patrick Mahomes. Why? Because Patrick Mahomes went and set the market. He reset the market. That's happened for generations throughout sports. That when guys at a profound, high-profile level go and reset the market, guys that are inferior to them at their position make more money than them. Derek Carr at one point was the highest-paid quarterback in the history of the NFL. Derek Carr is not even a top 8-10 to quarterback in this league right now at his apex. So what I'm saying is is that even though you're not the best in your position like you brought up Trent Williams, clearly Trent Williams is better than Orlando Brown Jr. But the market is set in place because of guys like Trent Williams that Orlando Brown Jr. can go and make more money and that's what he's looking at. I get that. That that all makes sense. But there is context to each situation. Every situation is different. Every team is different. A lot of those contracts, these big guys that have reset the market, those are a lot of those majority of the time are bad teams overplaying, overpaying for players. The, t- the Raiders have been terrible. When they gave Derek Carr that big contract, they were like a seven-win team. And, and, and then Kyler Murray getting his money. The Cardinals are no – no one's worried about the Cardinals, right? So, like, a lot of these teams – and then uh, 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 Christian Kirk getting paid. But this is the Jaguars. And, you know, the Jets always are paying big contracts to guys to get them there. Like, a lot of these – this our context is different. We are a team that's chasing rings. We are a team that needs players to be on board. If you don't want to be on – but, I mean, look at the, the Patriots. They did it for years. There's guys that would take pay cuts – when they knew they were worth more or they took more after they won a ring with them because they, they decided to go chase a ring and then cash in. Orlando Brown, to me, is just he, I feel like he feels like he's entitled because he's at a premium position in this league, but yet he's not performed up to the point, in my mind, to, to cash in yet. I just don't feel that way. And I think, I think there are some bridges being burnt with his personality. And you know how Andy Reid is, and you know how this front office is. If there's personality issues, we've seen it with Marcus Peters, We've seen other guys that have had issues personality-wise. It's not a talent problem. But when there's things being broken and, and, con- and, 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 and conversationally they're, they're digging themselves into a grave, they will be gone. 
right? And we will look elsewhere. We will find other ways. Um, and I, I, I'm not saying that's what's going to happen. I'm not saying Orlando Brown is going to be the guy for the future. I don't think he is at this point. I'm not sold on that yet because I think this is definitely throwing a wrench into everything. But context matters, man. We are, we are a different team. We're not the Jets. We're not the Jags. We're not teams that are trying to just sign guys to big contracts to have big names and, and talented players here and there at different positions. We're a team that's trying to be well-rounded all the way, talented all the way around in this roster. And we've seen guys like Travis Kelsey take less money, being the second, third highest paid tight end in this position. We all know he's the best. We all know he's the GOAT, right? But there's just – that's context matters in this situation, man. And I think Orlando Brown has a lot of proving to do before he can think he can stand on that stage. But here, here's the thing that I, I have to push back on just a little bit just because I think I that – the market. But. You know, I'm not even going to say the market. It's – okay, you mentioned about how the Chiefs are a team that are playing for championships. Therefore, it's almost like a you-come-to-us type of thing. Like, I get that. I understand yeah, that's, that's a thing. For years, yeah. The, okay, but here's here's the thing. You want to talk about outliers? That that is what the Patriots were. Okay, That's what we want twenty to be years of dominance. I get it. I get it. Yeah, my, my point though is, but what did they do? They spent money at certain positions, though. They did spend money, big money, mm-hmm. on offensive line to protect Tom Brady. And that's what I'm talking about. That's where I stand. And here's the, here's the thing. We we this is the reason why I do not believe this report. One hundred percent do not believe this report. I think there In are. Its entirety. I think there's. I, I have a hard time believing the the part the part about him not being the it's guy they wanted. Here, for all that to be. Here, here's the reason why I don't believe the part about him not being the guy they they traded for. If that was the case, why did they still try to sign him to a long term deal? Because if he's not the guy, yeah. Why were they still willing to pay him upwards of almost twenty million dollars a year for the next five to six years? If he's not the guy, and they know what they have in Patrick Mahomes, why would you want to lock him up until Patrick Mahomes is thirty one years this old? This is why these are, these are tough though, because there's probably so much that was said and so much that was discussed and back and forth that we still don't know about. Um, the fact that they're coming out and saying that this isn't the guy that we traded for, this isn't the guy we thought it, blah blah blah. There's probably other things we just don't know about that are in the dark. That's why there's these vague reports and things like that. There's got to be some truth to him. But then, there's but no the, way that he comes out, Judea just comes out and just pulls this out of his ass. I get it, but what I'm saying is the report never talks about like integrity or off-field issues. It says yeah. he, because of team, they, he didn't take a team-friendly deal. They're not saying he's not good enough. They didn't say anything about his 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 moral uh, compass or his characteristic flaws, anything like that. It's talking about strictly business. Well, it doesn't really so give for you me, much at all, period, okay. But, but my point though is that you, you talk about not spending big money or overspending on players, even with Trent Williams at 32 years old with draining knees, literally draining knees, bad knees. The Chiefs are trying to spend over 138 million dollars on the man. So he just they wanted, he clearly guaranteed money. Right. The way the contract breaks down, it looks like he just wanted more guaranteed over more years. I think what it is is Orlando Brown Jr. I don't want to speak for the man because I don't know the dude. I've never talked to him. Yeah. I think what happened is he realized, holy shit, I got to get my agent in place. I got to make this work now. And then he did that, and he realized this is my market value. I'm being told this is what my market value is. The Chiefs are trying to make it and prop it in a position to where it looks like they also see it the same way, but the language and the fine print is what separated them. And for me, I tend to defend the player more times than not in that regard because I know what a player is worth, especially like you said. He plays the most pivotal left tackle position in the league because he's he's protecting the most pivotal piece in the NFL. Now he's a fucking distraction. (laughs) But here's the thing, Trevor. To your right. own point, though, if he is the most important left tackle in the league, should he not get paid like it? Uh, no. No, he hasn't performed. I'm saying he's simply that because he's in that position. He's got to play up to that, that, that level, bro. You don't, you don't just – that's what I'm saying. The context matters when you're on – within each certain team. He's only the most important – uh, uh, left tackle in this league because he's protecting the best player in the NFL. So you're, you're in a position that he is not – not, he hasn't played good enough? No. 
How I mean, how was he proving that? I mean, he wasn't he wasn't even available I mean, in the biggest game in, in one year of his career. Okay, but you do realize that last season, as, as much as he struggled for the first month and change, he had a better season at left tackle for the Chiefs than Eric Fisher did in nine years. And Eric Fisher was a top ten left we tackle were very in the league. Hot and cold on Eric Fisher. I well. get it, but I'm saying that once okay, from tw just take 2018 to 2020, Eric Fisher was a top ten left tackle in this league, and he protected Patrick Mahomes. Okay, he didn't miss starts, and when he did, the Chiefs. Here's the thing: when when he when he missed, the Chiefs had their worst stretch in the Patrick Mahomes era. When he played, they didn't lose a game for almost an entire year. You remember the 2020 season when Eric Fisher came back from his injury? They didn't lose. And I'm not saying it's all because of Eric Fisher. My point, though, is the solidification of said position. Right. Orlando Brown Jr. is an upgrade to Eric Fisher. He is. He played better last season than Eric Fisher ever did with the Chiefs. The entire season. The entire season and as a whole. He gave up fewer sacks, fewer pressures. He gave uh, had fewer penalties than Eric Fisher ever had in a full season of playing. The only season Eric Fisher had less less sacks allowed and more, and less penalties is when he only played eight games in 2019. And I will say that that, that speaks more than just... You're talking totality of uh, you're, you're talking about as if Orlando Brown is the offensive line. This no, no, no. offensive line was far more improved than the line that Eric Fisher was playing with. I agree, but I mean, we but had the even best center in football but even well. saying that, but even saying that though, the Chiefs had two of the best tackles in football while Eric Fisher was there because he also benefited off of Mitchell Schwartz on the other side of it. For sure. Let's let's not pretend like the Chiefs haven't had a good offensive line for the majority of the last decade. Call, did we not call this last year's offensive line the best offensive line Patrick Mahomes played behind? Yeah, and who played with him? Orlando Brown I mean, Jr. We didn't have a Joe Tooney. We didn't have a there's this I mean, Pancake Poppy. There's a lot of guys in this offensive line that are dogs. 100% agree. This is by far the best. And we were looking forward to this. But who's the most valuable? Who's the most valuable of all five it's guys? It's always left tackle that's the most valuable and most important. But this is what I'm saying. This is where I feel like the ego out of nowhere is coming. I wish we were talking about Tyreek Hill holding out or something like that. Some kind of superstar player that is like noteworthy amongst the league. Outside of Chiefs fans, no one's giving a shit about this situation. No one's worried about Orlando Brown holding out. No one else is talking about this. But you even agreed yourself, though, that if... if, if, if he's not a big name but, okay, but hold on. But you, you agreed yourself, though. And I want to put words in your mouth. I want you to reconfirm it because you did say this a week ago. That if Orlando Brown Jr. hit the free agency market, he would get 24 to $25 million of a year. Of course. That's how the NFL works. So and the it's, NFL it's clearly does view him that way. Shit teams. This is what I'm saying. This context matters. If you're going to be here... <laughs> Like I said, I'll bring you back to the Patriots way, the way they did things, the why why they won so much, they, why they were able to brainwash guys into sticking around or taking less money to eventually cash in. A lot of guys would cash in it later and find ways to fit guys in and still win regardless. I think the Chiefs are in a situation where we can do that as well. We have the leverage. We're the Chiefs. You want to be here. We got you here. And then, you know, whatever is said between whatever lines were crossed, whatever, why they couldn't reach an agreement, he drug his feet on getting a, an agent, all these things. Very unprofessional on his end, if you ask me. That's my biggest problem, and I said it from the beginning whenever we were talking about this, is since the offseason started, I don't want any distractions heading into this season because this is a very big, pivotal season. There's a lot of things to be uh, uh, overcome, a lot of challengers, new challengers in this division, and we still need to show that we're the team to beat, which I truly still believe that with or without Orlando Brown. Um, it's, I, I just feel, I feel like this is very immature on his end. I think he's been very unprofessional. If he gets paid, I don't care. If he gets paid and he ends up being the guy here, I'm going to support him. Right, he's a chief. That's I'm chiefs first. That's why I'm upset about this situation because he's making it more about him in my mind. And I get it. He's got to get his bag. He's got to take care of himself as if the Chiefs don't ever take care of the guys that that they that they want around here. They we always do. But when you start burning bridges with Andy Reid and these guys and you know, I mean that that you're barking the wrong tree in my mind. I think he's trying to play the leverage game here. He's that's never gonna you're never gonna win that. Well, yeah, because he doesn't really have a lot of leverage right else, now. If he goes yeah. if he goes somewhere else to uh, you know 
to the Detroit Lions. Everyone's going to forget about Orlando Brown. Yeah, but you got to remember that that a lot of guys. I'm sure winning is important to a lot of guys in the league. But I, I think you would agree with me that if, let's say you and I were in the NFL. Obviously, we'd love to win a Super Bowl. Obviously, that'd be something we'd love to admire. But if I knew that I can go to a, a regardless of what the team structure is, if I knew I can go and get myself fifty to hundred million dollars guaranteed, I'm taking the money. Even if I'm leaving a better situation it's because of the fact, legacy at that point. Yeah, but here's the thing: legacy isn't something that I can hold in my hand. What I can hold in my hand is money that changes the, the the entirety of my family for generations. And so for Orlando Brown Jr., he's seen that even though he's coming from a family that has some money because his father, you want to talk about legacy, was a was a tackle for the Ravens back in the day, a really good one, albeit. But here's the thing: is that. I think you would agree that if, if Orlando Brown Jr. would have gotten the money he wanted this offseason, neither one of you, neither one of us are upset about it, right? No. Okay, so for him to sit here and still hold the position that he once said money, I don't know how we can be upset with him when they, when he's holding firm to what you and I would be okay with. What do you mean exactly? If, if he would have got the money that he wanted, let's say um, a rough structure of it is, let's say five years, $116 million, which equals out to about $24 million a year. If you'd have got that with guarantees of upwards of $50, $60 million, you and I are not upset about it, right? I don't think he deserves the big time money. I don't think he deserves the. the... So you'd been upset if you'd have got that? Probably, because I think that'd be overspending on on a guy that I just don't think is proven yet. I think that money could go elsewhere to find other p- position players. Um, like who right now? Like where? Where? You know? I'm just saying. Like obviously, he didn't think that the money, the contract that was that was offered to him was good enough. So I just. I don't know, man. I'm just, I've never really been sold on him yet. I haven't seen it enough. I really just haven't. Um, and I like him. If he was going to, if he's going to be the guy for the future for the next four or five, six years or whatever, he, we eventually find a way to, to uh, uh, you know, keep him here, which I don't think that's the case anymore. I think things have changed. And then we've had that, you know, discussion. Well, bring that up. Bring that up real quick because I want to I want to move on after this in just a second, but I want you to bring that part well, up. Well, we made our personal bet. That, yeah, you bring that, bring uh, that out. Bring it out there because I want everybody to know about this a, one. It's a baby bet, just a $50 <laughs> bet. Um, I bet Lance that, you know, that I think after this season, he either gets, you know, tagged and traded or just tagged and plays out another season. I think, I think he, I think this bridge is burned here. I think we're, I think there's going to be more things to come out uh, about this situation. I think the Chadia report was just a, a little teaser, a little vague teaser. We, we don't really know much about what, what the context is there and who said it. I mean, obviously it's an anonymous person, uh, but I think it was reported for a reason. Um, I think I think Orlando Brown isn't the guy of the future at this point now. That my mind has definitely changed, um, and I'm not just being you know dramatic. This is not me just reacting dramatically. I think there's reasons why uh, things went the way they did, and you know, and I don't think I don't think the front office is very pleased about how things have been handled uh, from his end and his camp. So I think me and you made a bet that uh, that you know he either next season will be tagged and play. And then be gone the season following, or he'll be tagged and traded, which I think is the most likely one. He'll be tagged and traded after this season. And the reason I took this bet on and I felt very confident about it is because I feel even I know this sounds strange. I, I get it. But I feel even more confident about a contract in place after this season than I did a contract in place after last season. And the reason why I say that is this. Because first of all, I believe Orlando Brown Jr. is gonna have a career year this year. I'm so confident in that. Because sure he'll have a full he'll have a full good trade value. <laughs> He'll have a full calendar year of being in the system. I don't hate Orlando Brown. I know, I know, I know. This is a good conversation, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But I think he's going to have his best season because he's now going to be so integrated in this offensive scheme, being next to Joe Tooney, being next to all these other great, prolific offensive linemen that you have. And the fact 
that I think that the market for him isn't going to go like insanely up. But even if it was going we'll have to, even more money next yeah, even, exactly. This this the cap is going to go up exponentially from one year to the next, and then in twenty twenty four, even bigger than and, that. And who knows? That could have been a conversation that he had with the front office. Exactly. About, hey, next year, Frank Clark's ass is gone. And, and that's the other thing is that I think that the, because of how close this got, because we had heard reports from several different reporters nationally and locally that stated that the Chiefs and and Orlando Brown Jr. really did bridge the gap at the end, right before the deadline. So for me, it, there's nothing bad between. There's no bad blood. I'm sure that there's some frustration. Obviously, he's not at camp yet. Yeah. He's probably going to take his time. I, and I think the Chiefs understand that because I listened to Andy Reid talk yesterday, and he he was very. You could tell that Andy's like, dude, I've been down this road. I know how this goes. It's okay. Like it's business. Yeah. We and want he him loves here. His yeah, yeah, he loves Orlando Brown Jr. He knew his father. Like all these things. Like it, there's there's a semblance here that I really do appreciate between the two. So even with a, a disagreement in place, it's like you and I. We have our disagreements, but at the end of the day, we're family. We get shit. We squash shit. We get shit done, and we figure out how to move forward. It's literally no different. It really isn't. So I think that he's going to go out there, have his best season. The Chiefs are going to realize, holy shit, we really did trade for a guy that now just became a franchise left tackle for the next 10 years. Yep. He's still so young. Like, look at Trent Williams in his mid-30s now, still the best of his game. Orlando Brown Jr. has the potential to be close to that. I'm not saying he'll ever be Trent Williams, but he could be a top-five left tackle in this league one day. I think the Chiefs realize, like, oh, my God, this is a guy we want to lock up for the next five to six years. Let's pay him market value. Let's pay him what he's worth. Let's get those guaranteed dollars in place. Let's figure out a good compromise between the two. Him and his agent now have been together for a full calendar year. Let's get this done. Well, let me, let I me, think that's what's going to Let me say happen. this, too, just to, to put this to bed. I like I always, I always say, I am a Chiefs first guy. Whatever is best for the Chiefs, whatever contributes to wins, I'm all in on. I don't care what name is on the jersey. I don't care what number it is. I don't care who's coaching. I, I just, whatever contributes to wins is all I care about as a Chiefs fan first. So if I, I will gladly admit my, my wrong. I'll gladly... You know, put my foot in my mouth if I'm wrong about this situation. If he becomes the guy, he becomes a Chiefs Hall of Famer, one of the best, you know, uh, uh, left tackles in, in Chiefs history, and he, for the, you know this time on, I will accept that. Obviously, I want that to happen. If that's who he's going to be, I want that to happen. I want him to be here. I just want what's best for this team. Mm -hmm. That's point blank period on my end. So. And what's best for me is getting that fifty dollars from me in a year's time. So <laughs> I'll uh, give it to you. Shit. <laughs> We got a couple other topics we want to get to today, guys, um, because and, and one of them's Chiefs related, and the other ones outside of the realm. But I want to get Trevor's talk takes on this one as well because I think that's a, a hot topic that I want to kind of round everything off. With. Um, so we did hear the news that uh, that Chiefs hopeful. I'm going to put him as a Chiefs hopeful right now. Justin Ross out of Clemson uh, just got it done having foot surgery, if I'm not mistaken. In particular, I think it was foot surgery. Um, I want to directly, I want to attack this directly because I think it deserves that because of how much hype's been around this player. I know our guy Shaggy Shane Williams has been very, very big on him. I think he, he obviously even started that Justin Ross uh, Chiefs fan page because he, he really does believe in this guy. And a lot of times Shane is correct on on players, and I do respect his take on this. I am worried, however, um, about the potential of Justin Ross making this roster this year. Yeah. Whenever you're a fringe player, an unrestricted or an undrafted free agent that a team brings on, if you can't even get to mandatory mini camps and mandatory camp yeah. it's really hard for you to make the roster could i see him making the practice squad sure because i do think the chiefs really do see something special in this dude he is one of those kind of guys that the chiefs really like to work with project wise he's got all the talent all the capabilities this guy absolutely shined bright in the brightest of stages and call it at the college level i think he was healthy i think this dude could be an actual contributor to a good team like the chiefs the problem though is that this man before football is even really starting before the pads are on before he's 
actually in the between the hash marks. He's already banged up. He's got several spinal injuries. He's got knee injuries. He's got ankle injuries. He's all he's got all kinds of problems that are facing him in his early twenties. And for me, it's hard for me to believe that a guy in a collision sport as violent as the as football is, for you to be dealing with this type of with this list of injuries in your early twenties, you're going to get better and healthier as you get older. It's really hard for me to believe that. I don't want to sound negative. I don't want to have a wet blanket on Justin Roth because I really do believe that he has the capabilities to make it work. But sometimes, unfortunately, there are a lot of guys out there that just cannot get out of their own way physically and continue to have ailing back issues, things like that. And when you have back issues at an early age, I mean, that stuff's going to linger for, for, for the, probably the rest of your life. And that really sucks to say. Um, I, I was willing to give this a go. I was willing to open my eyes and my mind to the idea that Justin Ross could be in this team getting real snaps and real games, making real plays. For the Chiefs, I don't see that as 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 currently constructed. I don't think that's on the horizon for Justin Ross, but I am holding out hope, and I hope that he can make the practice squad. The Chiefs can hold on to him, and then for next year, we see what he can do if, in fact, he can be healthy. Because, like I said, the potential's all there. He doesn't cost the Chiefs anything. I think he's only 21, 22 years old at this yeah. point. I maybe mean, he's a little bit older than that. I don't know. All I do know is that it's just really unfortunate to see because I think he's got promise, but right now that promise seems a little bit out of reach. And, I, and I'm hoping for the best. Yeah, I, I, I think we need to pump the brakes on the on the train, the hype train for Justin Ross. But I, I will say this, though. I am a believer, and I've been a believer, and I, I'm a sucker for a good story, too. You know, I mean, the guy had a back fusion surgery, um, and he was a baller in college, you know, and he has the, he has the profile of an elite receiver. I mean, the guy's – his leaping ability, his height, his speed, his catch radius – um, his ability to run the route tree, and then the guy's extremely talented. He has everything that you want in a receiver. He looks like A.J. Green out there. Yeah. You know, prime A.J. Green is what he reminds me of a lot. Um, so I, I, I really hope that – I don't think this is the season. Um, I do I do think he has a lot of recovering to do, a lot of things, getting his body right, um, you know, and, and, and um, um, you know, just getting his himself in a safe place where he can play football on a consistent level. Um, and we, we look, man, we, we are very deep at wide receiver this year. We have a lot of options, a lot of mouths to feed. Um, that's a great problem to have. So if we, it would suck if we were, like, depending on this guy to become something. That would be a much more of a, an issue here. Um, you know, this isn't, like, this isn't like a Josh Gordon situation where we're hoping he can be something and we kind of need that big guy. Um, you know, Josh Gordon could be that Josh Gordon this year, possibly. That could definitely happen, too. So we have so many mouths to feed uh, in this offense. Um, th- this isn't something I think we're really banking on. Some fans, you know, obviously, um, you know, shout out Shaggy Shane. You know, yeah, he want, we, want, we want this guy to become something. We love the story. Um, and the talent is there. Without question, the talent is there. Um, and I think, he, look, I think he can. I think he will. I'm going to say, I think he will be a part of this team eventually. I think he'll see, you know, time to play. I just don't think it's going to be this season. I could be wrong on that. Um, but I think there's a lot of other guys in line right now. I, th- I definitely think we'll keep them on, like you said, like the practice squad throughout, throughout the year. We'll keep them around. Um, we'll find ways to keep them on this team. But I don't think, I don't think Justin Ross's name is going to be called this year uh, on any highlight reels or anything like that. Um, but I'm definitely keeping my eye on the situation. Hopefully he gets himself right. Uh, we've seen early on when we first got him here, you know, the one-handed catches and all the you know the fun things and the, the quotes from Mahomes talking about him early on when he got here. You know, that's – that definitely will build a hype train for sure. And with the guy with the profile that he has, um, it's eye popping. And you know, having a guy like that on this team is is, uh, is fun to even fathom. You know what he could possibly be in this in this in you know this rotation of uh, talented receivers that we have on this roster right now. But I don't think he's going to be a guy this year. But I think I think looking forward to next season, 
I think giving him a chance to kind of get implemented into this offense and then this team and building chemistry and getting his body right first and foremost, um, that's priority number one. So I think I think next year is something that the hype train will be building up even further. Yeah, let's hope. Let's let's definitely hope because I, kid, I'm with you on that. I love a good story, and I think his story would be incredible. I think guys like Josh Gordon's story would be incredible. Um, it, yeah, those are just stories you want to see in happily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah. There's a lot of good ones like that on this team, and and I hope the best for Justin because, like I said, the success and if he if he has success, if he can stay healthy for a couple of years and he gets himself a nice contract, all of a sudden him and his family are set in a position, yeah, a much better a position. Like yeah, it's, went it's, to a big school. I mean, it was right. a stud. You Played know. with Trevor Lawrence, had some great success against yeah. big teams, and it would just be great to see. And I would love to see that happen here in Kansas City. Uh, something else I wanted to address. It doesn't have to do with the Chiefs. I apologize, guys. I know we actually have to talk about things outside of Kansas City sometimes. We did get the news yesterday. Uh, while we're recording this, it's yesterday. That we that, that the Arizona Cardinals and Kyler Murray, their quarterback, uh, agreed to a substantial amount of money on a five-year deal worth uh, $230.5 million, $160 million guaranteed. Um, I can't say that I was shocked about this news because I knew that because obviously the market, the market. And, yeah, the market, yeah, it, it was there, oh, you yeah. know, thanks to Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson and guys like that, Joe Burrow and Herbert. Oh my God, those guys are going to make a billion dollars. I swear to God, after seeing what Kyler Murray just got. Yep. Here, here are a few things. Um, first and foremost, I really enjoy watching play, oh, Kyler Murray play football. I think he's extremely exciting. He's one of the coolest, like one of the coolest things I've ever seen on, on a football field because he's so little, he's so quick and nimble, and so yeah. hard to tackle. And he's he has an incre- he has an incredible arm. Throws an incredible spiral. He's extremely accurate. Um, I believe he's led the league in uh, in completion percentage over the last three years. Yeah. So that's really cool to see, and I and I appreciate what he's done. I think he's also the only quarterback in the history of the NFL to have at least seventy touchdown passes and twenty rushing touchdowns in their first three seasons. Insane. So he he's he's done some things that are that are notable and something that you know it makes you it, it, he, you pay attention. Mm-hmm. If the Cardinals are on, the, on, I never thought I'd say this in my life. When the Arizona Cardinals are on fo- on the on the on the football field and it's on TV. We stop and watch oh, yeah, yeah. it. We we want to watch. Fan, yeah, fantasy king, dude. Insane. Yeah. yeah, and it's so fun to watch. For sure. All that aside, man, I think the Cardinals made this decision simply because he keeps them relevant, not because he keeps them as a contender. Because to be honest with you, I don't think Kyler Murray, as long as he's a quarterback in this league, will ever lead a contender. And here's the biggest reason why. He's little as shit, guys. And I know that sounds so weird coming from a guy that's about the same height as Kyler Murray. Okay? I'm not sitting here being a a shortest, if you will. Like, I'm not trying to downplay what a shorter quarterback can do. Because as we've seen, Russell Wilson, I think he's like 5'11", 6' at most, has has been one of the better quarterbacks of the last 10 years. We know that there have been quarterbacks. Drew Brees, for God's sakes. I mean, he's one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Right? I mean, Joe Montana wasn't a tall quarterback. Like, there's a lot of guys throughout history that have been really prolific quarterbacks throughout this time. The problem, though, is that Kyler Murray's smaller than all of them. All of them. He's he's more Doug Flutie than he is Drew Brees. And he's a risky player, And too. he's a very risky, he mobile player that gets hit. And we saw this year, at age 24, in his third season, he started getting banged up a lot, missed multiple games throughout the season. But it's even more so... Obviously, the durability side is something I'm worried about long term. Mm-hmm. It's a lot like Lamar Jackson. So much fun to watch. Incredible athlete. Does all these spectacular things. But you know that the clock is ticking so quick on guys like him. Because why? He relies on his athleticism far more than he relies on his arm. Not that these guys can't make the throws. We know they can. But we've seen in big pivotal moments and big pivotal games, in particular in the playoffs, they don't make those throws. Well, the they game, don't make those plays, yeah. and they end up getting dominated because here's the thing. Yep. Even to the regular season side of things, again, Kyler Murray's a fantasy football, and he's a, he's a juggernaut. Yeah. 
But even to his own numbers, in three seasons in this league and in this era that everyone likes to hammer my head with about, oh, this is a league of passing and all this stuff. Okay, he's yet to throw for 4,000 yards in a season. He's yet to throw for more than 26 touchdowns in a season. And in his only playoff game last year, he completed 56% of his passes, only had 137 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, with a 41 quarterback rating. Very inefficient. He was horrible in that game. They scored. He, you could have made the case he was the worst player on the field in that game. Now, it was rough to watch. Now, he did play against a team that won the Super Bowl in the Rams. I get all that. But that's also a Rams team that the Cardinals whooped they beat their ass. big time in the, earlier in the year. So, it's it, to see you get whooped by a divisional foe in the playoffs, your only playoff game, I know there are other things, other factors in play because I don't know how good of a coach Kingsbury really is. I, I know some of those things play played you know, pay its part and play its part in all of it. But let's be real. Had a really good the Cardinals had one of the best teams in football last and year. Lost Hannah Jones. Yeah, yeah, they, they, they and JJ Watt now is, yeah. is longer than the tooth and been getting hurt a lot, things of that nature. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins will miss the first six weeks of the season. Yep. I have a really hard time believing this contract is going to give the Cardinals more of a chance at Super Bowls, more so than just keeping them relevant, because I think that's what this contract really states is that, look, we're a poverty franchise, which they are. Let's be real. They are a poverty franchise. They've never really won anything in this league outside of getting to the Super Bowl that one time with Kurt Warner. They end up losing to the Steelers. Outside of that small window in time and place that worked out perfectly for them, they've been a very bad franchise. And to get Kyler Murray first overall and to convince him to move from baseball to football, I get why they did it. I just, I really hope people understand why they did it. As I think when, when if in fact the Ravens do get Lamar Jackson tied up, and they've been a much better franchise than the Cardinals have been, the Ravens are, I think that that's what the, the Ravens would be ultimately conceding to the same thing the Cardinals are now doing. Let's just stay relevant. Let's get John Harbaugh 10 victories and see what can happen in the playoffs. I think that's what we're seeing with some of these quarterbacks. And again, the money's there. The market's there for these guys to get paid. But there are levels to this, as our guy Mark Gunnels likes to I say. There are levels to this. that You pay Patrick Mahomes. You pay Josh Allen. You pay Justin Herbert, Joe Burrow. You pay even Deshaun Watson before all this shit went down. You pay guys like that. Because you know what they're going to bring. It's a Super Bowl or bust type of mentality. And I just don't see that with Kyler Murray. I don't see that with Lamar Jackson. I don't think they have the quarterback skill set. And it's been proven, in, again, in the playoffs, which is what I pay attention to the most. Because Lamar and Kyler put up the numbers in the, in the regular season. They produce at a high level for fantasy football. But when it comes down to the playoffs, these yeah. guys do not play at a high level. And that's been proven time and time again. I think this is just to keep them relevant. Yeah, I would have just traded for Jalen Hurts you know, and, and paid him much less. Um, for have a similar type of player, um, and he's bigger and much stronger. If I'm being honest, um, yeah, I mean, I, I'm not paying him that. I'm not. Um, but this is what I'm talking about when it comes to the teams meeting the market for these positions and, and being, you know, and I'm not going to call them a bad team because they had the best record for like 90 percent of the season last year. You know, they yeah. were the, they were the yes. best. They were the last undefeated team. He wins games. I mean, granted, they've had a they've had a good defense the last couple of years. Um, they've had weapons on that team. Um, you know, uh, uh, so he's good. I'm not gonna like Kyler Kyle Murray. He has, he has, he has it. I will say that he has that highlight reel. We've seen some almost in his young career. He's already made some crazy plays. Uh, he's so fun to watch. He's like Mighty Mouse out there, just running around, scrambling, making plays, extending plays. He's he's so athletically gifted. Um, you can see his baseball mannerisms and the way he plays and throws the football. He's electric, um, but he's just not a very efficient and or consistent football player. He's just not. 
he'll 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 woe you with like a lot of these crazy plays, and he'll be terrible for like three straight quarters after that. You know what I mean? So it, paying him elite money like that is just. It's not something I would do. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care if it pisses the fans off. That's just not a guy that's going to go win you multiple rings or give you the chance to even be that. But I get it. I get it. The fans love him. He's he's their guy. Um, I would have taken much chances otherwise and trying to draft somebody else and try to make a. But listen, man. Like this is the NFL guys, especially lately. I mean, we've seen Jared Goff get paid crazy money. Um, you know, Matt Stafford getting big contracts later in his career as well. Grant Matt Stafford's arguably a Hall of Famer to some, to maybe some to not, he's not, but um, just won a, a ring, you know what I mean? So he was the missing piece for that team as well. So we, I'm not going to shit on man. He's he's earned it in his right. Um, he's put up numbers. He hasn't won shit, though. You know, I think winning is everything in this league. That's all that matters to me. Um, he's fun to watch. He's fun to, he's fun to plug into your fantasy lineup, that's yeah. for sure, uh, with all the running and scrambling and rushing touchdown he has. And, you know I mean? He's had big games and, him and him and DeAndre Hopkins seem to have a great chemistry, uh, which is what you need. Um, so I, I think that was the biggest thing there too, knowing that the, that that having a duo and a wide receiver one connection and chemistry is the first thing you really look for outside of it protecting your quarterback. You want that connection with your number one go to guy and your quarterback having that chemistry. So that that's built into that team. Um, so that I mean that that's huge. But yeah, man. I mean a lot of these guys are get, getting paid. That it's just like. We've seen Chris. We've seen uh, uh, um, um, uh, Kirk Cousins getting his money. We've seen these guys being the high. Like, I think at one point Kirk Cousins was the highest paid quarterback and almost or He's, near the top. If I'm not mistaken, outside of Deshaun Watson, now I think Kirk Cousins made the most guaranteed dollars in the history and of the Aaron Rodgers. And Aaron Rodgers yeah. in his late years is getting that fat check. So I mean, well, two MVPs in a row will help you with that. Course, <laughs> you're not going to get me to doubt, doubt my guy's talent. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is this is the way of the league right now. The money's wild in the NFL. It's only this is just the beginning. I mean, the the the, the cap's gonna go even further up. And the the my favorite part about all this is is the beauty of Patrick Mahomes' uh, contract as it's playing Preach. out. He's Preach. looking like talk about team friendly. You can go back Preach. to that conversation. It's looking like Patrick Mahomes is he's now like the third or fourth highest paid quarterback fourth. in the league. Yeah. And, and real quick, I just want to continue to go down. I, I want to throw that. Yeah, you're right. By yeah. next year, he'll be like the sixth or seventh, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Here's the funniest part: okay. is that of all the quarterbacks right now in the top five, I think it's uh it's Deshaun Watson, Kyler Murray, Josh Allen, Aaron Patrick Rogers. Mahomes, and Aaron Rodgers. Right. Since 2018. All those other quarterbacks in that five top five list have combined for six playoff wins. Yeah. Patrick Mahomes by himself has eight. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's so what I'm saying. Yeah. that's what I'm saying. There's levels to this. That's what's the beauty of this whole conversation is is you know our guy is solidified. We're, we're good. <laughs> we're good for the next damn near decade plus. So, and I want I want to put this out here too, real quick about this whole Kyler Murray thing is that again, I I don't want to sound like somebody that's like saying oh he'll never amount to anything. He already is something. He's already went number one overall. Yeah. He's already put up historic numbers in in regards to total touchdowns and completion percentage and all yeah, that. I like I like yeah. Kyler Murray. I'm He's a fan. Fun man. I'm a fan of Lamar Jackson. I love the way these guys play football. I love Michael Vick. But we all knew how that went. Yeah. Is there was always a caveat. There was always a yeah, but when it came to winning big playoff well, games. Go ahead. And that's what separate like you brought up Drew Brees with his stature. Drew Brees was one of the smartest quarterbacks we've ever seen in this league. We got we got to understand that. And he can make the throws. He can make the throws. He's very he, he's pre-snap similar to, to Peyton Manning. Not the most athletically gifted guys. Yeah. But their pre-snap knowledge, their ability to read defenses and see things coming before they do and it took even Tom Brady, guys like that, they understand. They're not athletically athletically gifted. I would take the guy that's not athletically gifted, but can read the defenses and know what's coming before, instead of a guy that's going to just that can just evade pressure and risk getting injured by evading such pressures. 
that's that's such a higher risk and you investing that much money into a guy like that is, is scary and that's what's scary about the, as a ravens don't, fan don't we get nervous every time we see Kyler murray get grabbed by one yes. of these six four 280 Lamar, pound defensive linemen yeah, it's Lamar like, Jackson's fuck, got like six inches on him and i'm getting nervous when he runs the ball yeah he's, he's not a big guy he's tall lamar's he's better to avoiding the big hits yeah. And, he, and like you said, his structure, his build well, kind of helps. A couple he's he's much bigger. Yeah, he's yeah. like three inches taller, three, he's four inches taller. Because he knows. Yes. <laughs> he's more of a, he has more of a man body. I hate to say that, but it's the truth. And, and it's coming from a shorter guy. And but. the NFL is catching up to those kind of quarterbacks, yeah. too, because linebackers are smaller and lighter and quicker. They're and more they like free safeties yeah. now. And, and, and here's the other thing about the the comparisons between him and Drew Brees and other guys like yeah. Russell Wilson, who, by the way, Drew Brees and Russell Wilson are the two greatest quote-unquote shorter quarterbacks in the history of, of the course. NFL, and it's really not all that close. You can throw Michael Vick in there, and Kyler Murray will eventually probably put himself in that category. But those are the outliers, is yeah. Drew Brees and, and Russell Wilson, right? Two Hall of Famers that are around six foot below. But here's the thing about those guys, is that even to their own credit, they've played 30 combined seasons in the NFL. There's a reason why. They've only won two Super Bowls combined. Yep. Like, we always talk about the disappointment of the Packers and how they had Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers, two of the ten greatest quarterbacks to ever live, yeah. only having two combined Super Bowls. And we're just like, damn, how did that happen? Well, it's the same thing with Russell Wilson and, and Drew Brees because in their times, in their eras, they've been top five quarterbacks the majority of their careers, mm-hmm. top ten quarterbacks for the majority of their careers, and they can only win two Super Bowls in 30 combined seasons. That says a lot, There's too, man. So. That. To that, but yeah. But what I'm saying it was the, the the context of even to the outliers. It's not like they had four combined Super Bowls, and we could sit here and go, "I think Kyler can get one because they're the outliers and they set the bar so high. I think he can achieve that." Yeah. As difficult as it was for those guys, it's going to be even more difficult for Kyler because, to your point, those those guys aren't as privy to getting injured as him because, like I said, he's even smaller than they are. And and the league, like you said, is getting even more athletic, even quicker, even stronger. He has to face that as his time goes on. And well, him being 24 now and at age 29, 30, is he going to be that same guy? Well, and, and two, I mean, the, a lot of the reason to why Drew Brees and other guys had to succeed is because they played in, a, in, a, in, a, uh, you know, in an era where they were not the top. They were great quarterbacks. They've been great quarterbacks, but they were dominated in, in an era where Tom Brady and Peyton Manning – you know, were the kings. Yeah. It was always about those two guys. Who's going to be, who's going to, you know, outduel who. And those, everyone's betting on those two guys to be in the Super Bowl every single year. And damn near they were. Yeah. You know, or a big Ben every once in a while as well. So, um, and, you know, you look at Kyler Murray and you compare him to his peers. Where does he rank amongst his peers? He's got Patrick Mahomes. He's got, you know, Justin Herbert coming. He's got, uh, you know, uh, uh, um, uh, Joe Burrow and all these guys that are, you know, up and coming. He's not in the ranks with them in my mind. Right. He's talented. He's just as, he's, He's close to the, as far as talent goes, but as far as like being the full package and a, and a true winner and a guy that I'm going to bank on to go get a ring at any point, I'm never going to bank on Kyler Murray, Kyler Murray getting a ring. And I, I feel similar to that with Lamar Jackson. As much as I love him, I just don't think he's a guy that's going to completely get there. He's going to have great regular seasons. He's going to get yes. MVPs. He's gonna, his number is going to break records. Um, but I just I, those are not guys I'm banking to go win rings. And to, to, to finalize my entire take on all of this, and I I, I kind of hope I'm wrong because I would love to see Kyler have great success and get to some Super Bowls, get he at least have a few. Success, but... I, I want to see that. But here's the thing. Yeah. Um, leaning even more into my theme that I've talked about about this season, what my theme is for the NFL as a whole is coaching. We talk about Russell Wilson and Drew Brees being the outlier. You know what else benefited them? Having two Hall of Fame head coaches and it, Sean Payton and Pete Carroll. Matters. Right? That always well, matters. Well, Kyler doesn't have that. And I I like Cliff. He's cool. You know, he's this handsome guy. And he's, you know, Patrick Mahomes' buddy. And, like, there's that cool connection. He hasn't really been a good head coach so far. And I think that he's gotten a lot more credit than he really deserves. And until I see him take his 
coaching game to the next level, yeah. or I see Kyler Murray get a better coach after this season or whatever season, you know, Clint Kingsbury ultimately gets fired if that happens. I, I'm going to hold true to that, is that I don't think Drew Brees wins the Super Bowl without Sean, Sean Payton. I don't think Russell mm-hmm. Wilson wins the Super Bowl without, without Pete Carroll. So that has to also play a factor for Kyler Murray to be successful. So he needs to have a better head coach, or Kingsbury needs to get better at his job. I think he's only, what, 44, 45 years old. So there's that chance that Kingsbury becomes a better head coach. We've seen guys do that in the past. We've seen other oh, of course. Court, so court, yeah, coaches get better at what they do. If that, in fact, happens, then I can open up that door a little bit more and, and, and pay attention to it. I just think there's a lot going against Kyler Murray for success yeah. physically and the structure around him, even with a good team. I just don't know if he has the coach in place for that. But we'll see how it goes, man, because like I said, they have an opportunity. The NFC West took a ma- or the NFC West took a massive hit this year, this year with the Seahawks being absolutely atrocious, which has not been the case for the better part of 10 years. We don't really know. I, I'm, a, I'm expecting the Niners to be a good team, but we, we have a lot of questions with that team as yeah. well. And then the Rams, do they have that same fire and fervor inside of them to go out and get another Super Bowl? There's a lot of questions in the NFC yeah. West that haven't been there for a long time. So Kyler does have a chance. We can see what he does, man. And I, I'm happy for him. I'm happy for his oh, family course, going to get life-changing money. $160 million guaranteed, man. Of course. I applaud it. You know what I mean? I think that it's it's great to see. Is it gonna is it gonna pan out on the football side of well, things? See we'll how see. He plays after he exactly. Gets paid. We've seen exactly. a lot of guys get paid and you know go down the tube. So um, we uh, because of the fact we don't have the Eddie Hour, man. I wanted to kind of uh, expand on uh, a couple portions of our show. Actually, quite frankly, it's the final portion of the show. Which, by the way, Trevor, what's it called? Hold this L. Each and every week we finish off a series, uh, finish off the show with a series of L's in the world of sports, whether they're friendly or not friendly L's in the world of sports. I promise you guys, they are deserving of those L's, whoever holds them. Um, Trevor, I'm going to start with you on your L. I have a couple things I want to address uh, on mine, so I'm going to be a little selfish and expand on them. But I want you to go ahead and knock yours out. What, who is holding the L for you today, this this week? Mine's going to be quick. It's um, I'm going to continue to, 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 you know, ream on these guys on these old heads every chance i get because it's such a frustrating thing to consistently see these ad hominem attacks on players that are simply making true statements jj reddick once again is getting blasted by none other than the famous legendary jerry west who i love admire and respect as a businessman as a player as, a, as the logo as a guy that revolutionized helped re- revolutionize and move the nba forward as a product um, a guy that was truly before his time. He was he was a baller. I'm not going to take anything away from Jerry West as a player, as a guy, as an individual, as a family man, as what whatever title you want to give him. The guy's great. I love him. He's a good guy for sound bites too. But unfortunately, this sound bite bit him in the ass. Um, as he was chewing gum on live radio, <clears throat> uh, he was making this this statement. Basically, I'm not even going to go into read it all, but I'm just going to give you the kind of the, uh, the 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 hot points here. He said. So he's referring to, as a lot of you know, J.J. Reddick made that, that, that statement about Bob Cousy playing against plumbers and mechanics and all those things, which is, is a fact. A lot of those guys had side jobs and or were the, that before they were playing in the NBA. Um, that's how talented he had to be in that era. Um, he said this. He said, obviously, the game is completely different. The athletes are completely different. By different, he means far better. Um, I'm going to say it for him. <laughs> um, I know J.J. a little bit. Very smart kid. Kid, True. yeah, smart kid, forty-year-old kid. But I tell, but tell me what his career looked like. West answered, "What did he do to determine games? He averaged what twelve points a game in the league. Somewhere along the line, numbers count. Look, I'm gonna stop it there. I, I'm not gonna read any more to the. He's making it at, like when I say ad hominem attack, he's attacking the individual for making the statement, but not the statement itself. And that is one of the most. As someone who enjoys listening to debates, someone who enjoys, uh, uh, you know talking back and forth and having intellectual conversation about sports and, and, you know, 
reminiscing on the on the you know what era uh, would supersede which era. Listen, this is such a tired take. People are attacking JJ Reddick as an individual, not what he's saying. Right. That's the problem, and it's like it, the, the lack of logic in these kind of conversations. And I expected more from Jerry West, man. If I'm being honest, a guy that I, I truly respect and honor uh, his statements about players and his knowledge of the game. This is just he just took. You can just tell that he took this up the ass. He took this personally, and he he responded in a way a 12 year old would. Right? You talk about kid. He responded in a way you know, in, in trying to attack the individuals, not this, not the individual statement. Because what J.J. Reddick has said and what he's been saying, it's stirring the pot, but it's true. That's why it's stirring the pot, right? You only get offended. You know, you only respond that way if it has truth to it, if it's valid, which is why Bob Cousy came out and said that. He started mentioning Will Chamberlain and all these. He started mentioning all the greats of the era, but he didn't want to mention all the filler players that filled that, that terrible league at the time uh, uh, of guys that, you know, that had to work side jobs just to make ends meet or guys that were, you know, being plucked off the street to play in the NBA <laughs> or the ABA at the time when there was 8 to 10 to 12 teams. All the BAs. You know what I mean? So, yeah, and all the teams were stacked. The good teams had all the best players, and there was 8 to 10 teams. Listen, man, I honestly expected more from Jerry West in this. I really did. Uh, he hasn't come out and said anything to add to that, but this was a couple days ago when he was talking about this while chewing live or while chewing gum on live radio. Um, so you, th- you, think the, you think the etiquette, that alone is an L. You think the etiquette would be a little bit better on Maybe he had a double mitt sponsor mi- sponsorship I, or something, you know? Is, you yeah, think about man. that, you know? <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I don't know, man. He needs a Snickers, though, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> Maybe he was chewing a Snickers. But uh, I'm just saying, man, once again, J.J. Reddick's out here tr- triggering these old heads. And this is the old head of the old heads. Like, this is Jerry West, you know, one of the guys that maybe the most respected guy amongst the NBA outside of maybe Magic Johnson, who's revered as much as that man is. Um, so out of respect, that trash take ad hominem attacks on the individual, you know, trying to question what JJ Reddick's career was. JJ Reddick knows who he was. JJ Reddick knows who he was. He was a, a, a role player, one of the best three point shooters in his era. It Free is what it shooters is. too. Free absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. One of the, one of the most dead eye shooters of his time. It yep. just is what it is. He understood that he's never, he's never claimed to be, he's never personally compared his career to these guys, he would automatically have been the second best player on those Celtics teams that won the eleven oh, championships. Could you imagine, man, Outside that, of Bill Russell, there's no player better. Shooter, now. there yeah. wasn't shooters like him even back then, right? And that's JJ Reddick. That's right. not. We're not talking Ray Allen. We're not talking Steph Curry. We're not talking Clay Thompson. But that's like. But to your point, I don't want to take away from your, no, your yeah, shine yeah. here, bro. But it, it, it's the, the same principle to Jerry West's career. Because yeah. imagine like me seeing him trade a player or him making a statement even about this JJ Reddick. I can counter it and go, well, you know, Jerry West went one and nine in the finals. And I'm just sitting here like making a statement about his achievements or lack of achievements as an NBA player and how he failed more t- far more times than he ever succeeded. Right. That doesn't take away from the fact that if he's saying something that makes sense, like you said, yes. what does that have to do with it's it? It's just, it's pure, it's, it's, this is pure get off my lawn bias, man. That's what this is. This is, and, and that's why I have so much respect for Scottie Pippen because he's actually taken the rational approach in a lot of these questions. Has he had moments where he's kind of backtracked? Sure. Yeah. Because he has his guys to defend, you know, that is his error as well. But even Scottie Pippen's remarks lately coming out when he was straight up asked live, you know, about this era. Is, 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 is this a tougher era? Is this a more talented era? Yeah, he's like, he flat out said, yes, this is far more of a talented era. It's far more 
difficult to succeed in today's because it's so saturated with talent. That's because Scotty has eyes that work. Yeah, and his sons are playing. You yep. know, his sons are trying to make this league, and he understands how talented his son is. Yep. Uh, you know, just trying to make the league. So he acknowledges, you know, the talent pool is so much diff- more difficult for guys today. You have to be so much more skilled to even be recognized to make teams nowadays. You can't just be – it's hard to be, a uh, you know, just a bench warmer. Even if you're a bench warmer and you're called upon, you better have some – skill set that you've mastered whether it's shooting the three whether it's defense yeah i mean three and e guys will always be valuable so those kind of guys are always there but if you're not a good three-point shooter it's really hard to make a a roster if you're not good at defense and and or shooting the three or shooting jump shots period so i I appreciate guys like scotty pippen that will forever keep it real uh and have a rational uh response to questions like that but unfortunately i expected more out of jerry west and that just was that was a very he took it personal and you can tell and i i just for me, that's 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 worthy of a, a holding out. So for for that, the legendary Jerry West, do me a solid favor and hold this L. L. Good L, man. I appreciate that. I I actually want to give out because our guy Eddie Ortiz isn't here. I want to give out a couple dubs before I get to my L because I think there were some very worthy uh, Ws this week. In particular, uh, something we know that a tragedy that befell our our country just a couple months ago was uh, the the shooting in Uvalde, and that that middle school. Um, so we got the news yesterday and I just saw it today. I can't believe I missed it, but I saw the news this morning when I was prepping for the show that longtime legendary athlete, I just want to call him that cause he was great at college football, great at baseball, great at the NFL level. Bo Jackson, uh, had donated $170,000 to help the families of Uvalde. Yeah. Now you consider and say, well, you, you know, anybody could have done that. That's true. And I wanted to bring it up on the show because it's a sports figure that I think a lot of times, and we talk, Trevor, you talk about these quote unquote old heads. Yeah. Uh, it's good to see players of previous generations still really get it. And, and it's not like any connection to Bo Jackson and the Uvalde, Texas. It's not like he had, you know, a long career in that area or he grew up there or anything like that. He's not even from the area. He doesn't really have any true connection. Yeah. And to see somebody still be that connected and tapped in on, you know, if you have the ability to help you do it and that's it's it's powerful to see that bo jackson a a, a, li- a literal living legend as one of the greatest athletes to ever grace this this planet is out here and still making an impact at a level at a monetary level uh, far far surpasses to me what he ever could have accomplished on a football field or a baseball diamond i think it's 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 great thing to see and i wanted to pay homage to one of the true great legends uh, of our lifetimes and bo jackson for doing what uh, many of us wish we could do, which is to contribute at a high level like this. It's great to see, and I, I just wanted to commend him for that because I can't even imagine uh, what these families. Uh, I, I I don't want to imagine. I I could. I don't know if I could live through it. Yeah. What these people are going through, and to see him do something this charitable uh, by donating that kind of money is is powerful, and it's going to impact these people in a very positive way. And if we know anything about what's taking place positivity is any and everything of what they need Support. right now they got to have it they got to have it and that's a massive massive w for our guy bo jackson uh another w i want to hand out is to somebody that i have paid so much respect to over these last 20 plus years um i want to i want to give a w to tim kirchin for being inducted into the baseball hall of fame yeah. Uh, the man has covered the game since 1979 which is the same year that espn uh, came out which is ironic, too, because he also joined ESPN as a baseball analyst in 1998 and has been with them ever since. For me personally, whenever I watch baseball tonight or a big game on TV or you know anything that has to do with baseball, Tim Kirchin has always been there uh, to give us a, a stat that we would never, never would have known otherwise. And you know I'm both a big baseball guy and a stat junkie. 
Uh, he also possessed this ability to bring joy to any and everyone he's he's been around. And he's not dead, so I'm not trying to sit here and talk like he is. Yeah. But but this man, you want to talk about a living legend as well, Tim Kirchin is. If you know baseball, you know Tim Kirchin. He always puts a smile on your face because he's got that real whiny voice, and he's this little, little dude. He's this, yeah, dude. this old little guy. He's just the most adorable figure in all of baseball. And, uh, he, again, he, he possesses that ability just to make everyone's day brighter. He puts a smile on everybody's face. And as the great Peter Gammons, another man I respect greatly, said, uh, quote, greatness should be measured in goodness. And Kirchin, to me, is filled with goodness. And I don't know baseball without Tim Kirchin. And quite frankly, I, I don't want to know baseball without Tim Kirchin. And I just want to say, man, it's it, it goes without question. This man is deserving to be in the Hall of Fame with all the other greats because he is one of those guys that while others try to tear other players down and make a career out of it, like Skip Bayless has, and other guys like that that just Doc want to just Docs. sit, yeah, just want to make uh, a career out of out, out of uh, making it an undignified effort to tear these players down. Tim Kirchin is one of those guys that have been out there and just not not even just glorified players, but just wants to tell the story. And wants to give a, a, an honest representation of what these guys have done with their careers and lives. And he's been so consistent with that. And it goes, you can watch the special that, that ESPN just dropped. You had Cal Ripken, Peter Gammons, uh, uh, um, Jason Stark, all these other Buster only, all these prolific legends from either the writings, reporting area to the great legends of baseball and playing. They all love and admire this man. That's that's not something that can be faked. You know what I mean? You can pay a few people to say some nice words you know or whatever. He loves what he does. But you know exactly, and you know it's a follow through throughout the generations. People love and adore him, yeah. and never being a ba former baseball player, never being a former athlete, just being a, a voice and a writer and a reporter and an analyst to be able to be that beloved and knowing that you have to make a living off of opinions. That's something, man, that just cannot be replicated, and there are very few out there that can pull that off. And Tim Kirchin's one of them. So I want to throw a dub out there to my guy Tim Kirchin because he's been somebody that I've admired and respected for many, many years. And I know all of you that love baseball know the same thing and know that same feeling that I have for my guy Tim Kirchin. My L is going to go to those that are obsessed for whatever reason with Madden ratings. <laughs> I've been I've been seeing and hearing all fucking week. From from the greatest players in football to the to the common fan, this bitching and moaning and groaning about Madden ratings. Unless I'm mistaken, and maybe I am, but I, I don't think I am. Players don't make more money off Madden ratings, and it doesn't change anything that actually happens in reality. So... I'm trying to put myself in the position of, of, a, of an athlete. Like, imagine me being a quarterback in the NFL, which would be fucking kick ass. Imagine, like, me seeing a rating of myself. I, I'd probably be like, oh, you know that? I'm probably a little better than that. Or, you know what? Hey, <laughs> they gave me a lot of credit, man. I don't know if I'm that good. You know, deep down, I'd say that. But I can never imagine. And, again, this is me speaking from where I'm at, so I'm not trying to sit here and say I know what I would do. But I would imagine that I'd be like, yeah, I don't really give a fuck. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm more concerned about what goes on the field, what I'm actually doing, the money I'm making. Like, I'd be more concerned about that because maybe it's just a lack of desire of playing video games because I haven't played video games in well over a decade. I'd love to, but I just never, you know, we've never bought a console or anything like that. I'd probably get addicted, so it's probably better, it's probably better that I haven't. Yeah. But I just, I don't understand this obsession of, of like, I saw Willie Gay, uh, I think he had a, a, a rating of like 69 or 70. He's like, man, just take me off the game. Now he's obviously saying it tongue in cheek, but it's like, 
if we're really going to go down it, do we need to start criticizing players based upon like matters? Like, where does it end? Like, where does it begin and where does it end? Like, is it really relevant? And if it is, like, why is it relevant? And I don't really see why it would ever be relevant. I know it's just a talking point. I know it's July. I know that there's not a lot going on, so therefore we have to kind of discuss these things. But it's the obsession of it because I see players even throughout the season saying, hey, man, I just had three picks in that game. Why the hell am I in the 90s yet? Oh, I'm not in the 99 rating? What the hell? Tom Brady uh, talking to uh, Jamar Chase, which I thought was incredible, when uh, Jamar Chase said he wasn't like the top 10 rated wide receivers, which is absurd if we're being honest. Sure. Tom Brady's like, bro, it's all good. They didn't even put me in my second year. They didn't put me on the game my second year. <laughs> so that's funny. Like, I like that stuff, but... Yeah, I just I don't think this is important, and I think that we all just kind of need to let this one go. So for that, for everyone obsessed for it, the obsession in its, in its entirety, do me a solid and hold, hold this, this L. Appreciate it. All the gamers out there. <laughs> this is a fast, fun-filled show, man. We had a lot of discussion, though. I think we crammed in a lot. It's it's a lot different when we don't have our guy Eddie Ortiz because the Eddie Hour kind of gets us to to dive into other aspects and other subjects uh, in, in the in the in the pro sports world or just the sports world color to the show (laughs) we miss our guy eddie i know he's gonna miss a couple shows in september that bastard but uh we we always make do and we want to make sure and give you guys consistent content each and every week which is why we do ask humbly i might add that you do join us on uh, youtube and subscribe to our channel if you have not done that already and if you already have go ahead and spread the word let the people know where they can reach us we do a show each and every week and we're going to continue to do so until these wheels fall off man this is what we do this is what we love and we know that you feel the same way which is why we continue to pump these shows out but in the meantime man i hope you guys appreciated the show i hope you guys enjoyed this time um let us know if you guys have any ideas that you want to bring to the show if you guys want to comment in feel free man add to what we do here this is why we do it we are the spoken we're not us just speaking to you we want everybody to have a community of discussion and that's what it's about man that's where it's, it's at its healthiest we are so close to nfl football being back and i cannot wait for that we're gonna have a fun awesome season we cannot wait to get to our prediction show which will be here a little over a month from now hold tight with us guys we've got some great guests lined up we got some great shows coming your way but in the meantime for trevor twidwell for the great clay Winler who puts all this together on the backdrop of this bad boy i am lance twidwell episode 177 176 of the spoken podcast is done finished infinito and until we're here in one week's time for episode 177 we out of this bitch Hey, my love, think about you fading And the way that you move all now making me crazy We're going to get out of this bitch. Thank you so much for listening, guys. See ya. You are tuned into the spoken. I might actually stick. I might actually stick around for a little bit.